Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so welcome to Making It Happen. Uh, my name is Tom Dalton. I think we're on episode number 33 or 34. I can't keep up at this stage. Um, but I'm delighted to say a bit left the field for me now. Um, I'm delighted. I'm actually really interested to hear his story. We have Kevin O'Brien um, on the podcast today. Kevin um, O'Brien was previously the vice captain of Ireland cricket team and holds the record for the fastest century. I hope I don't get this wrong because he's going to correct me if I do get this wrong. Uh, and so uh, cricket team and holds the fastest century ever scored at a World Cup, coming from 50 balls against England on March 2nd, 2011. I think we can all remember that. I think that's when Ireland turned in and became a cricket fan overnight. Uh, he made his Irish debut in 2006 and took a wicket with his first ever ball in a one-day international game, the third person to do that in history of the game. In 2007 World Cup in the West Indies, Kevin was an integral part of the squad, which beat Pakistan on St. Patrick's Day, which I'm sure is a massive achievement, and beat Bangladesh in the Super 8s and tied with Zimbabwe in Ireland's first ever World Cup game. So Kevin, welcome to the podcast. How was that intro? Perfect, yeah. <laughs> uh, bring, up, bring up back some good memories. Um, good. A long time ago, especially that 2007 World Cup, the win against Pakistan on Paddy's Day. I didn't see I didn't see daylight for about three days afterwards. Uh, it was a good party in in Jamaica. Brilliant! I can't wait to get stuck into that and hear all about it. But Kev, for a second, if we're gonna jump back, I suppose childhood, growing up, and how cricket came into your life. Yes, I mean I'm I'm the youngest kid of six, um, five boys and, and and a girl in our family. Um, dad played cricket played for Leinster, the province, uh, played for Ireland as well, 52 times. So, yeah, we were just born into born into uh, cricket. Uh, we grew up um, probably 500 yards from Railway Union, which is, is, has been our sports club for, for our whole lives. Um, so, yeah, just every weekend, you know, we were down in the club during the summer, you know, playing cricket, uh, watching dad play and my old, watching my older brothers play. So, um, yeah, myself and Niall are kind of, followed in dad's uh, footsteps and both played for the national team and Kev at that time growing up like it's obviously bigger now but what was it like was there many people doing it um yeah there was you know it was kind of pockets around Dublin uh were, were kind of big into cricket and you know Sandy Mount is an area which there's four clubs within you know a couple of miles um there's Railway Union Pembroke Pembroke Creek Club is across the road where they play in, in in Sydney Parade, where Monkstown Rugby play, that people oh, we people probably pass it on the dart on the dart line. Um, then there's a club in YMCA just up the road from the village, and then there's a, a club, uh, Marion Creek Club beside RDS, just in Balls Bridge there. So you've got a really active cricket environment in Sandymount. Um, you know, and then the, the other main hub is over in North County Dublin, kind of North County Balbriggan Rush. Um, scaries type areas so they're the two main areas uh, back then for cricket you know growing up um it was it was yeah it was, wasn't as popular as as it is now and you know probably wasn't um as accepting uh, as it is now which you know was was kind of 
weird for you know a, a 10 or 11 year old going to school kind of not really telling anyone that 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 we played cricket myself and Nyler we we did we certainly didn't uh, make it public knowledge that we played and Kevin were you at that time let's say you're in secondary school and you're playing cricket was the idea to get a good education go to college or did cricket take over um no probably for me I mean I was never you know I was never brilliant at school um uh, but like I, I enjoyed school and, and you know, I, I wasn't the best um, studier, you know, and my results weren't weren't always that good. Um, but, you know, and, and to, to be honest with you, I, I never thought I was actually very good at cricket. I mean, I obviously thought I was okay, um, you know, but I never thought that I'd go on and represent Ireland. And, you know, at the time, I probably felt I didn't really want to, you know, pursue a career in cricket. Um, the only op- opportunities of a career in cricket at that stage were over in England. So like when I was twelve or thirteen, you know, I was you know, I was playing cricket during the summer. But once once the season finished in September, I kind of just forgot about it for six months, and you know, went off playing football, played for the local football club in YMCA, um, you know, during the winter time. And 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 then when I was a little bit older, I, I kind of took up hockey, um, in in railway union. So yeah, cricket for me it was just really kind of a pastime uh, when I was kind of in my teenage years and. Yeah, a lot, a lot else going on, you know, kind of hanging around down the club, you know, playing all types of sports and, you know, never really gave cricket 100% until probably I was, you know, probably 17, 18 years old. And Kev, talk to me about that. Is it like, is cricket where you get a scholarship, you get a contract, you play for a club or was the opportunity, oh, maybe I can go to the UK and do this full time? Yeah, so back then it was, you know, I would have just played for a rail union, you know, all the underage teams. And, you know, if you were lucky enough, you know, you got selected on the interprovincial side, whether the under 13s, under 15s, under 17s. Um, and then again, if you, if you performed well in that, you know, week in the, in the competition for that week, you know, you might get selected for the, for the Irish under 13s or 15s. So I was fortunate enough. I, I got selected for the Irish under 13s, um, uh, the first ever squad. And then I, I, I missed out on, I missed out on the under 15 age group, um, didn't get picked. And then, you know, kind of got back into the system when I was kind of 17, 18 and, and then went to the World Cup in 2004 uh, with the Irish under 19s. And that was probably when I kind of realised that, you know, actually I'm, I'm actually a better cricketer than I actually think. And I've got actually a bit of a, a, an ability uh, to play the game and went over to the World Cup in Bangladesh and it was a complete eye opener for me, you know, I'd never, had never really played cricket overseas before. Um, and just to go over to that tournament in a country that's absolutely cricket mad. Um, it was just such a cool experience. And we, we played well as a team. I played well personally and, you know, kind of never really looked back after that tournament. And Kevin, just to delve into it a bit. So is cricket something that you can like earn a wage from, or did you need to have another job on the side or is it a full professional thing where you can earn a few bob? And nowadays, yeah, it's fully professional. Uh, so we have 20, 20 players who are contracted to Cricket Ireland, um, you know, on a, on a yearly kind of rolling contract. So I suppose the downside to that is, you know, if you have a, a, bad, a bad year, you know, you can instantly lose a contract as quickly as you got one. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a pressure situation at the moment. But back then, you know, there was absolutely no chance of, you know, when I was growing up, even at the age of 18 or 19, there was no chance of being a professional cricketer in Ireland. So... When I was 18 or 19, I, I went over to England and, and played with the MCC young cricketers um, who who are kind of a young academy side and they play against all the county second 11 teams. 
and we train at Lords. You know, Lords is the most iconic cricket around in the world. It's the home of cricket. So for two seasons, two summers, I I got to train and play at Lords. You know, five days a week, and and that's probably when I kind of my game kicked on. You know, I kind of just from playing so much and uh, training and playing with people my own age and and playing against seasoned professionals over in England um, you know you, you kind of find out whether, whether you're good enough and you, you learn to sink or swim and you know my mentality is I, I always love being the underdog um, you know and I, I always look to try and find a way my own way of, of succeeding and, and I think those two years in England were, were massive for me in terms of my cricketing uh, I suppose education and my, my cricketing knowledge and improving that to bring home then to try and get into the, the senior national side in 2006. And Kev, if we talk about that, your first World Cup and travelling to Bangladesh, were at the time Ireland looked at underdogs or who were these guys coming in and talk to them? Yeah, so we we so the way the way and it's still it's still similar enough now. The way you qualified for that Youth World Cup, um, you know, if you if you won the European Championships, which was competed between Ireland, Scotland, Holland, and Denmark, um. You know, you if you if you won that tournament, you know you qualify for World Cup. So we we had a, we had a really good team you know, uh, in my year, my age group. Um, like five or six of us went on to, to represent the national squad um, over the last kind of ten or twelve years. So yeah, you know we, we won the tournament. We beat Scotland and we qualified. And you know we were up against West Indies, Pakistan, and Papua New Guinea in our group. Um, and the first game of the tournament was against West Indies, and you know we were absolutely hammered in the first two warm-up games by a, a kind of club side in Bangladesh. And like, we kind of thought, jeepers, what's going on here? Like we came over thinking we're actually a decent team and we've got absolutely hammered by by this club team. And but anyway, we, we, we entered the tournament. We, we almost beat West Indies in the first game. We only lost by five or six runs. And we then beat Papua New Guinea. So we qualified for the plate stages. We didn't qualify for the main event. Um, so we, we, we qualified for the place and we got to the semi-final. Um, and so I think we got to the final. I can't even remember so long ago. Um, but we lost to Australia um, in a close game. We actually, we gave them a really good run for their money. Um, and they had like, they had a few future Australian internationals who were playing. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable tournament. I always look back and see who the players played in that tournament for, for the other teams. And just some of, the, some of the names that played are like some of the best players in the world at this moment. So it was, it was a real eye-opener for all of us, but me especially. And Kevin, if, you're, if anyone that's listened, give an understanding, talk to us a little bit about preparation and training that goes into preparing for some of these games. Um, yeah, so I mean, well, nowadays, you know, my prep and my training would be a lot different than when I was, you know, as a, you know, a young 22-year-old kind of getting in, getting into the sport or into, in, into international cricket. Um, yeah, so back then, you know, yeah, we, we'd train, you know, in the lead up to that World Cup, certainly going to Bangladesh and then also with the national team going to the World Cup in the Caribbean in 2007, you know, we were training every weekend, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, and then you were kind of expected to go to the gym on your own midweek um, because in 2007, we were all amateur. You know, we had a postman, you know, I was in you know, I was in college, you know, we had a farmer, you know, I think we had one kind of fully professional cricketer and he was based over in, in Middlesex, Owen Morgan, who's now the English uh, English captain. Um, so he, he, he played for us in 2007. But everyone else was an amateur, you know, we had salesmen, we had, you know, all sorts of jobs. So people were working Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five, 
uh, then go to the gym in the evening time and then, you know, out for a full weekend of training, Saturday, Sunday, 10 o'clock till five o'clock, both days out in North County, which is based on Balbriggan. There's an indoor hall there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was full on and, and something that, you know, a lot of us hadn't really experienced before. Um, but certainly going into those, into those world cups, it certainly, uh, put us on a put us on the right path to go and achieve what we did and kev talk to us about probably you're at the mention there earlier it was it would have would you say it was the highlight of your career in jamaica um yeah it's one of them for sure yeah you know um being at the crease when we beat pakistan um uh, was 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 un- an unbelievable feeling you know watching nyler score 72 um in the same game and, and win us a match you know it was absolutely class and being on paddy's day as well you know made it even more special so um, you know, as you said at the start, you know, our first World Cup, you know, we tied with Zimbabwe two days beforehand and then we beat Pakistan. So we'd qualified for the quarterfinals, um, you know, in our first ever World Cup, which was unbelievable, you know, unheard of, you know, people around the world still talk about us beating Pakistan that day as being the biggest upset in World Cup history. Um, just because no one knew our, no one knew our even played cricket. Um, the only people who knew were, were the people involved in the game here in this country. Um, but then to go over to and to beat Zimbabwe, who are a test nation, and then our tie with Zimbabwe, who are a test nation, and then beat Pakistan, you know, it was unheard of. And Kevin, what like was the support like over there? Was there many paddies or how was it? Oh, it was, yeah, unbelievable. Like pretty much every cricket fan in Ireland flew over, um, you know, people thought we were like that we'd only be there for three games and we like we might be Zimbabwe but we'd probably lose to Pakistan and West Indies and we'd fly home and kind of oh well done plucky Ireland you did really well and you know, like the only people who I'm not saying the only people but very few people actually kind of gave us a chance um, certainly the 15 players there and the five sports staff really believed we could qualify um, you know Yes, we were up against three test teams, but you know, ultimately, those three test teams are very inconsistent. They're unbelievably good on their day, but they're also unbelievably poor. Um, if it's not their day, and we, we caught Pakistan on a cold day, um, and you know, ultimately went through to the quarterfinals, and we were there for an extra four or five weeks, um, in the Caribbean, which is the best place to play cricket, in my opinion. Um, it's just the feeling and the laid back attitude is. Like we 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 were the second favorite team after the after the hosts West Indies. Everyone wanted us to to win, and all the locals were supporting Ireland. So it was if they weren't supporting West Indies, they were supporting Ireland. So yeah, we were like the second team over there. And talk to us about your travel. You must have some passport stamps on your over a few years, do you? Yeah, well, that's my my first passport. Like basically, used all the pages about three or four years ago. So I applied for an extra large 56 page passport there, you know, four or five years ago. I think I'm halfway through. So, um, yeah, no, I've been very fortunate to, to travel around the world. You know, I think, you know, if you asked me when I was 19 or 20, you know, you, you play cricket in, in all these countries or you'd even visit these countries. You know, like I would look at you go, no chance. Um, you know, but yeah, very fortunate to go over and, you know, being able to play in the countries I have done and, and see things, you know, that, you probably wouldn't have even only dreamed of, you know, it's, 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 it's what makes playing cricket, you know, so much more enjoyable is to be a going over to experience, you know, different cultures and, you know, go to these different countries and, and to see different things and, you know, just travel around and meet new people and, you know, play a game that's ultimately, you know, it's just a bit of fun really. But, you know, for me, it, I'm very fortunate enough and obviously very thankful to Cricket Ireland first and foremost to, to be able to, 
you know, to call this my job. Um, and it's, you know, hopefully there's a few more years left in, in me and, and we see what happens after. And Kev, with, when you're in these countries, do you get any downtime or is it all cricket, cricket, cricket? No, I mean, we, we do get a bit of downtime for sure. You know, I think, um, you know, although cricket is a long game, um, you know, we do get a lot of days off in between matches. It's usually a day off unless you really want to actively go and work on something at training. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of downtime and there, there is a lot of opportunity to go and you kind of sightsee and do the touristy stuff. And I would have done a lot of that when I was younger. Um, not so much in the last couple of years. Um, you know, certainly use the days off now to, you know, refresh the body and kind of you know get all those aches and pains out ready to go for the next match or next training session so but yeah you know certainly you know being able to go and do some touristy stuff has has been great and it's made the tours even even more special okay we're, we're talking in 2020 here and covid uh, world and stuff like that where is cricket ireland at today is it still on an upward growing cycle or where is it at yeah i think it's to be honest, it's probably plateaued a little bit um, over the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, obviously achieving test status, which is which was a huge achievement for Cricket Ireland and, and, and everyone who was involved in, in, in getting that. Um, you know, we achieved that in 2018. So, you know, we're kind of sitting at the top table as such, you know, when it comes to these ICC meetings and that type of thing. So we have a proper say in how cricket is to be run around the world. Um, so that's a huge achievement for everyone involved. And, yeah, you know, to, to play, you know, our first test in 2018, the the kind of activation level and, and the numbers playing the game has probably plateaued a little bit since then. But, you know, the numbers are still strong. You know, it's come a long way since 2006 when I made my debut. Um, and I'm sure it's going to get even stronger and stronger with with the performances, hopefully, with that we put in as a national team, both men's and female. Um, you know, hopefully we can... Uh, we can get more numbers playing and get cricket into more schools. You know, that's what, what can And Kev, talking about crickets and more schools, is coaching something you're looking at in the future you're currently doing or it's always been part of your life? Yeah, it's something I've done, you know, previously and, you know, probably the last, again, the last couple of years and since, you know, the amount of cricket that I'm playing has gone up, you know, my kind of coaching opportunities are, the time I have to give two coachings um, decreased. So, but that's something I'm, I am looking at, you know, starting up again over the next, you know, probably 12 months or so, 18 months. Um, but actively now putting the kind of steps in place over the last couple of months and, and over the next few months, kind of into the new year, looking to um, put things in place. So I'm ready to go. Maybe this, this summer kind of started up again on, on a small time, small time basis and, and try and run from there cool and Kev if if people are listening and they're a novice to cricket, cricket like I am will you explain to me one day's super eights and how cricket just the games will you just break that down for us yeah so so basically so there's three formats in cricket it's like in in rugby for example you have rugby sevens you've got rugby league and you've got rugby 15s rugby union so in cricket you've got Test cricket, which is the traditional five-day game, you wear whites, you know, people would probably associate it with, you know, cucumber sandwiches and, and that type of thing. And, and, and very slow pace of game and it's more tactical. Um, and obviously, you know, you can play for five days and still neither team wins, which is a lot of people don't understand. Um, then you've got 50 over cricket, which is 
the game we beat uh, Pakistan in, in in Jamaica. It's when we beat England in two thousand eleven, um, and it's the game, the format of the game we beat England in in August, just this this year over in Southampton. So that's fifty over cricket. So fifty overs, an over is six balls, or is you know, it's like six pitches in baseball. Um, so every so therefore an innings is three hundred balls, three hundred pitches, um, and each team bats for the 300 pitches and whoever has the most runs at the end of those 50 overs wins the game. Or if the scores are tied, it's a tie. Um, and then 2020 cricket is the kind of newest format, which is probably similar to rugby sevens. It's really fast, action-packed, loads of fours and sixes, you know, loads of music, just really entertaining. Um, and that's a lot of a lot of people might have heard of the IPL, which is the Indian Premier League, which is the most lucrative league in the world in terms of and cricket. All the lights and all and everything on the stumps. Yeah, they little yeah. dancers and you know lights flashing everywhere. And basically, you've got a, a league over in India, which pays big money for people to people to go over and get signed in in an auction type thing. Um, so that's twenty over cricket. So each ball is each over is, is six pitches again. So that game only lasts one hundred and twenty balls um, so again the idea is try and hit as many runs as you can try and hit as many sixes as you can which is the equivalent of a home run in baseball uh, you hit it out of the ground you get six runs um, and then obviously high score wins again if scores are tied you have this super over which is you bat, you bat for one over each team bats for one over and whoever scores the most runs wins um, so yeah it's it's, it's, it's it is quite a simple game when when you explain it in in a simple way. You know, you someone bowls me the ball, I try and hit it as far as I can for as many runs as I can, and you do that over a prolonged period of time. And whoever has the most runs at the end of the match wins. That's simple. That's pretty much the the layman's terms of explaining cricket. And Kevin, is there has there ever been any opportunities where you think of going abroad or another opportunity at a different club, or did that ever come up? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to play over in England. I played for five or six teams, counties in England, um, mainly for the 2020 format. Um, and then I've been very fortunate. To, I've played twice in the Caribbean Premier League, um, once in the Bangladesh Premier League and twice in the competition in New Zealand. Um, once in Canada and once in Nepal, which is somewhere I thought I'd never, ever step foot into Kathmandu. Um, but absolute loved my experience there. Um, you know, spent three or four weeks in in Nepal, and it was just absolutely class. Um, somewhere I just kind of fell in love with with the city, and you know, fell in love with the people over there. It was just they're so friendly, and they just love, obviously love cricket as well, um, just as much as the Indian population. And is that would that be the highlight of your stamps or travel so far? Um, yeah. It was one of them, you know. Again, I mean, I've I've played, you know, again, been been to Dubai, f I don't know, ten times maybe. Um, Abu Dhabi as well, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Namibia. You know, I've I've pretty much played cricket in every continent. So, for me, it's just the opportunity to go over and see the world. It's just, it's you know, every tour is every tour is different, but every tour, you know, it's it's a special tour, you know, because ultimately now I I know that every tour could be my last tour. Um, you know, I'm kind of, I've reached the kind of twilight of my career now. You know, turning 37 in March. Um, so yeah, I've I've got to kind of, I've got to try and experience every tour 
um, as if it's my first. So kind of just enjoy it. And, you know, as, as difficult that it is, you know, being away from home and being away from family and stuff. Um, yeah, you just got to enjoy being on tour with the lads and, yeah, just kind of playing cricket and playing a sport that, you know, I love to play um, and, and earning a living from it. And Kev, is it is a highly competitive? Are you watching over your shoulder now with the young lads coming through and going, that guy's gone from my space? Or is it support? How have you managed that? No, I, I, I mean, I, I always look at the younger guys in the squad and thinking, you know, there's like, I'm not going to give up my my space in the team. They have to earn it from me. Um, and I think probably over the last two or three years, my performances have certainly become more consistent. Um, now, I'm not saying they've been more kind of entertaining or whatnot but over the last two or three years I've got more consistent as a batter so than I would have been in my first few years of my career so yeah certainly you know I know that you know the young guys are you know they're around the squad and you know they want to take my place and you know they, they want to push the old brigade out but you know I'm going to make them work for it um, they've got to continue to put in really good performances and ultimately if I can at the end of my career if I can sit back and go well listen, player X earned that spot rather than me giving it to him. You know, I know I'll be happy. I know the team will be in a better position because of that. Um, and obviously cricket, hopefully the, the, the squad will have, have put in some more good performances and, and some more wins. And Kev, when I'm, anytime I'm watching a game, is there much chat going on or is it is it the gentleman's sport we know it as or is there a bit of sledging or slagging going on between you? Or... Yeah, there's a bit of slagging going on, yeah. I mean, probably now... Not, not so much from me um, or maybe not so much to me, but yeah, certainly when I was younger, yeah, like I've got a bit of red mist in me. Um, you know, I, 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 I can switch and I can switch quickly. So if, certainly when I was bowling, I don't bowl much anymore, um, but I used to bowl and I used to bowl quite a lot. Um, so if I was having a bad day and I was bowling to someone, and you know, I'd, I'd say a few words, I'd fire myself up and I'd get stuck into them. Um, now that could be friendly banter, but also it, it, it could, you know, borderline, you know, sportsmanship kind of thing. But, you know, that's what you got to do to win games of cricket. That's what you got to do to win international sports. you got to try and get one up on your opposition. And if that means that you, I'm not saying you, you know, take it over the line. You go to the line, you never go over the line, but you certainly take it close to the line to try and upset his rhythm or upset his concentration for that one minute and then all of a sudden he plays a bad shot or, you know, he does something silly and, you know, you get the wicket and all of a sudden, you know, you've won that battle. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved in a few altercations with opposition players, you know, they've come at me and, you know, I've gone back at them hard. You know, I'm certainly when I'm batting, you know, or bowling, you know, if, if someone has a go at me, you know, I don't let it lie. I'll, I'll go back at them, um, you know, and I'll give as good as I get because um, ultimately you have to, you know, if, if, if if you if you're getting a bit of sledging or you're getting a few words thrown at you and you just turn away and you kind of shy away from it, the opposition have one up on you. You've got to show, yeah, all right. I, I may I may only be playing for Ireland. You might be playing for Australia, but we're playing the same match here today. And there's no way I'm gonna let you win easy. You gotta you gotta come and you gotta you gotta earn this victory or earn this performance to to beat us. And I think that's when the Irish team were at our best. That's everybody in the squad had that attitude, like. William Porterfield, who was the captain for, you know, 14 years. That's the way he played cricket. My brother behind the stumps, he was so loud, chirping away, you know, just chatting absolute gibberish for 12 hours. You know, John Mooney, you know, typified Irish cricket. 
um, you know, absolute warrior, just would not let anything pass them. You see him at the end of a match, his elbows would be cut, knees would be bleeding. He'd have scrapes all over his body. Just he did not want to let the cricket ball pass him when he was in the field. And uh, like he just typified the Irish squad at that time. And like I could name everyone who was in that era. You know, we all kind of fed off the same him sheet and you know we all kind of believed in the same thing and yeah it was like we were a nuggety little scrappy team and you know we had really good players and we we, we played brilliantly at times of in, as individuals but we always played brilliantly as a team and that was the, that was the kind of one thing that kept us going through those golden era golden golden kind of decade um you know and it was just yeah it was, it was like over my dead body kind of attitude. And like, we all got stuck in, we all gave verbals, we all got verbals, but you know, we all, like we gave as good as we get, as we got all 11 of us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, great to hear about the competitive edge. And yeah, I think it relates so much in sport. Um, talk to me about, I, I see it in baseball sometimes. Is, is there such a thing of people bowling at you on purpose to put you off? Like high ball, uh, baseball and throwing the balls at them. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think one of the biggest attributes as a quick bowler, you know, is, is the ability to, you know, and one of the biggest fears as a batter is, you know, this fella has the ball in his hand. He can actually hit me in the head anytime he wants. And that's, that's a scary thing. Like, you know, and, and obviously in baseball, you're not allowed, you're not, I think you're not allowed to throw it at the batter. Um, I think if you do, if you hit him or something, it's a, it's a, a walk or it's a, is it a run or something? Um, but in cricket, if you get hit in the head or you get hit in the shoulder or the elbow or the chest, it's fair game. Um, and certainly in test cricket, that's when, because they can have different field settings and stuff like that. That's, that's when the tactics come into it. And, you know, you might have a bowler deliberately trying to hit you in the head for half an hour and you've got to, you've got to be mad enough to not back away and not show that you're intimidated. Whereas inside you're absolutely bricking it. And if any batter tells you, Oh no, I, I love those times. It's like, they're lying. There's no way you love somebody trying to actually potentially could kill you. There's, there's, there's not, there's not fun in that. But like, if, again, if you show one ounce of fear, you're gone. If you start backing away and you're shying away from the ball, you've lost the battle. It's only a matter of time before you get out. So you've got to, you've got to literally stay in there and, and look as if, yeah, I'm not intimidated. Whereas deep down inside you are absolutely bricking it. Um, but yeah, that's that's the challenge of being a batter, and that's the that's the one of the biggest things of being a pace bowler, you know. And I'm talking about pace bowler, somebody who bowls upward of 85 miles an hour, they'll be classed as a quick bowler. Um, the ability to to hit the opposition if and when they want. I'm mad to think that it's coming at you at that speed, which is crazy and such a hard ball. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, um, I suppose. You've, you've, you're, as you mentioned earlier, you're coming to maybe what you say the end of your career. I'm not saying it's your end yet, but are you thinking about life after cricket or what's next for yourself, Kevin? Yeah, so I mean, probably the last probably eight or nine months, um, I've kind of actively kind of thought what I'm going to do. I've always had an idea what I might like to do. Um, um, but yeah, the last eight or nine months, I've kind of looked at areas that I can explore and, and, and look at where I'm going to go with my post-cricket career and, and coaching is something that I like to do um, you know and I've enjoyed doing it over the last seven or eight years however long I've been doing it um, so that's an area that I'm looking to do you know whether that's get involved with you know a team in Cricket Ireland or if it's 
my own personal private academy or if it's a bit of both um you know just i suppose whatever doors are opened or you know i can open i suppose once my career finishes um you know i'll, I'll look to go down that um and i also have an i have a i have a, a desire to umpire uh, i don't know where it kind of came from um but I've done my umpiring courses. I'm a qualified umpire. Um, so for me now, I just need the practical experience um, of getting out and, you know, putting the umpire coat on and, and, and gaining experience, you know, in games. So it's, that's something I haven't been able to do since I qualified, just due to the amount of cricket I have played over the last kind of 18 months. So, yeah, so there are kind of two main avenues that, I, that I'm exploring. Um but yeah, we'll we'll just wait and see how a how long I can continue to play at at the at the elite level. Um, you know how long I can the body will will hold on for, and, and more importantly, how long the mind wants to play. Um, because ultimately, if once the mind goes, and once I'm not really keen on kind of putting the extra yards in a training and, and doing the extra training on my skills, um, you know, ultimately there's no point in playing. So. At the moment, I'm hungry to play, and I think COVID and the lockdown has been has been good for that. Um, it's kind of refreshed me, and it's given me the opportunity to, you know, get fitter, lose a lose a few kilos here and there, and you know, probably be in the best shape I've been in my whole career. So, um, yeah, I think the positive from from COVID and the year to 2020 is is potentially maybe a, a 18 months added on at the end of my career. It's great to hear someone talk positively about COVID because all we see in the press yeah. and the media is negative, negative, negative. And I keep saying to any people I'm talking to, I said, use this as an opportunity. Whatever you need to specialise in or spend a bit of time on, now is your chance. Yeah, definitely. Time is your biggest thing. It's great to hear, Kevin, your passion um, for the sport. And is there anything I suppose you don't like about it? Uh, warm-ups. Absolutely hate warm-ups. Um yeah, I just just let me arrive at five to eleven, put on my gear and go out and play. I'll do a few hamstring stretches, you know, a calf stretch and a quad stretch, and just let me play at eleven o'clock. This thing of meeting at like half nine, you know, to do your foam roller and do your teraband work and do your I don't know prone holes and all this kind of. I'm like, on. Oh, I don't need to. Do, I'm thirty six. I don't need to do all this. Just wheel me out at five minutes before the match, and I'll. You know, I'll get ready to go. I'll be good to go to chase the ball first at 11.01. Um, but yeah, warm-ups kill me. Um, absolutely kill me. That's probably the only thing I really, really dislike about, about cricket. It's gas. Um, I was listening to an interview. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll was talking, being asked a question. He was like the worst trainer, worst warm-up person. And he said, Rocky Elson, the rugby player, he said he'd be the yeah. absolute worst. Turn up late, not being there, not taking part in warm-ups. But then on the pitch, he just perform. Yeah, 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 a 10 out of 10. So it's very interesting you say that. Um, Kevin, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of coaches and mentors over the years and through the different clubs you've been with. Is there any nuggets of advice that have stayed with you and impacted your life? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I just try, I just try and, you know, I always try and play the same way, if that makes sense. So, I mean, if... You know, I always try, my first mentality when I bat is always try and score runs. Regardless of the situation, we might be, you know, massively behind the eight ball, um, getting absolutely hammered. But, you know, if I think I can score or if I can, if I think I can hit this ball for six or for four, 
I will try and hit it for four or six. Um, you know, and that's what I've tried to do for my whole career. Now, obviously, sometimes you get it wrong and you get out and you look like an absolute conker um, because the, the game situation didn't dictate that you should have played that way. But, I mean, I'm that's when I play my best cricket is when I'm aggressive and I look to take the opposition on and I look to put pressure back on the opposition bowlers. So why would I change? Um, so that's one thing I try and live by. And I, and I try and tell the young lads in the squad is like, like, don't fear, don't worry about the score or the situation in the match. If the ball's there to hit, hit it. Because ultimately, the, the objective of batting in cricket is to score runs. That's the simple way of putting it. And it's just, the object is to score runs as quickly as you can. So if you get a really bad ball from a bowler, and it might be your first ball, but if you can hit it for a four or a six, why wouldn't you do it? Don't have the fear of, oh, it's my first ball. What, what, if, I, what if I hit it in the air and get out? You could do that anyway. Like, but you've missed an opportunity to, to score runs and put the pressure back on the opposition. So that's the biggest thing I try and live by in, in terms of the way I play and the way I bat. Um, it's just, just to try and play each each scenario the exact same way as I have done, you know, over my whole career. And that's to try and be aggressive. Now, ultimately, you know, you, t- you do tone down the aggressive nature at times. You know, you might try and hit it for a four instead of a six because there's a fielder on the boundary, for example, or you, you might, you know, you might try and hit it for a, a two or, you know, instead of trying to hit it for a six, whatever it might be. But ultimately, I want to try and score a run off every ball. Um, so that's, that's what I try and live by. And, you know, I think as players, you know, if you ask, obviously cricket's a different sport it's, um, than most other sports around. But if, you know, if you speak to anyone within the sport sporting world and if you, if you say, when have you been at your best it's probably when they've been aggressive you know if it's a rugby player when have you made your best tackle when I've gone actually at the opposition player and I've hit him hard I haven't taken a backward step you know and it's the same in cricket so like when we play our best it's usually when we have that aggressive mentality or the, the positive approach when we go out to bat or when we bowl and ultimately more times than not you're going to be successful and Kevin just on that mindset aspect is there is there anything I suppose if you have a bad game or a bad performance, are you good at dusting yourself off and just going again? Yeah, I am now. Yeah, I am now. And that, and that just comes with, you know, being better at that comes with experience. Um, you know, when I was when I was younger and I had a couple of bad games, you know, I'd be in the hotel room and I'd be, you know, eating myself up and, you know, I'd be really down and that type of thing. And, you know, I, I suppose what, what helped me was having my brother in the team for, you know, 14 years of my career and um, Niall only retired two years ago um so you know no matter how bad I was doing and ultimately if he was in bad nick you know we had each other to kind of feed off and you know go go up to his room or he'd come down to my room for a cup of tea or you know a beer or whatever it might be so that obviously helped massively um but yeah certainly at times it was like you know I just didn't want to like I'd be in the hotel room going oh man I'm struggling I'm not going to play tomorrow or you know I haven't got runs in you know three or four games haven't got a wicket in three or four games da 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 getting real down and ultimately that's a downward spiral you know you got to kind of snap out of that and I think what's really important for for any sports person is certainly young people coming into kind of professional sport is to have something away from the sport you play that you can completely take your mind off. And for me, it's, you know, I love to play golf when I'm on tour um, and there's five or six of us who love to play golf. I love to read books. Um, you know, so if I'm, you know, on the day off, you know, I'll take my book in my hand out 
I'll go jump in a cab or a taxi down to a local coffee shop and I'll sit there for three hours. I'll just have, you know, two or three cups of coffee, trying to get through a couple of chapters in my book. And all of a sudden, you know, I've completely forgotten about what happened the day before. So, um, and of course, having a family helps as well. You know, we've got two kids and a wife. So, you know, if I'm in, in a bit of bad mood, I can always just pick up the phone to them and, you know, ultimately they don't care if I've been successful or not. Um, they just like seeing daddy on the TV or on the phone. Yeah, it's a great piece of advice there. Um, just uh, speaking of advice, is there any quotes or mantras that stick out to you that a coach has said to you previously? Or I suppose what's is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, yeah, just probably just to trust your, yourself, you know. And, and to be fair, I see a lot in, in, in cricket, you know, someone comes into the team or whatever, a young player comes into the team and, you know, he's got he's got into the team because he's played a certain way or he bowls a certain way, you know, and then he, he comes into the international setup and, you know, he thinks he needs to change things. And like when I, when I came into the, the Irish national team at the age of 22 and um, 2006, um, we went off in early 2007 before the world cup in the Caribbean, we went off to Kenya and we played a, a 50 over competition over there against Scotland, Holland, Kenya, Canada, and someone else. And uh, the first game was against Scotland, who would have been our biggest rivals at that time. And I'd never, I'd maybe played Scotland once before, certainly never played them um, that much. And I don't think I'd played against them in the national team at senior level. So I was batting and I came down the wicket to a bowler and tried to hit him, basically tried to hit him for a home run, tried to hit him out of the ground, got caught in the boundary um, and walked into the change room, taking off my gear. And the captain, who was Trent Johnson at the time, um, he was getting padded up. He was going into bat next. And I said, oh, sorry, Tej, the bad man. And he goes, what are you saying sorry for? So I got, like, got, got out, got caught in the boundary. He goes, mate, you're here to hit sixes. You're in this team to hit sixes when you bat. Don't change your game. And ever since then, you know, not saying I always try and hit sixes, but, you know, that was, for me as a young kid, who'd only played five or six games, you know, I'm thinking, geez, the skipper's got my back here. Like, how much freedom did that give me, you know, going forward, you know, over the next, you know, two or three games, certainly at, in that tournament. And if, if TJ is giving me that license or that freedom to go in and try and hit, you know, as many sixes as I can, obviously that's coming from the coach and the coaching staff. You know, next game I went out, scored 142, hit like 13 sixes or something. You know, and it's, I, I never really thought about it at the time. Um, but certainly over the last, you know, five or seven years, when I was being asked that type of question, I, I usually go back to that scenario and I'm thinking actually that that bit of advice from TJ at the time was like maybe just loosened me up and maybe I was kind of a bit fearful you know playing the game against Scotland but the next game then I had absolutely no fear and you know went out and you know scored 142. It's very interesting you say that it's amazing that it stuck with you for so long and it's a great piece of advice the one thing I'd be thinking in life and kind of business or whatever it might be is you have to keep shooting taking the shot if you have a bad day or a bad decision or something doesn't work, you have to go again, dust yourself yeah. from up. And it's very interesting, like relevant. You got caught out the next game, 140. Yeah. You know? Well, I remember when I was a kid, I myself and my brother Niall, we went to Shelburne Football Club. Um, we went to their uh, summer football academy. I can't remember who the coach was, um, but he basically said, if you don't shoot, you don't score. Which is unbelievable. In football, if you don't take a shot, you're not going to win any games. You know what I mean? So it's 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 completely relevant in 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 you know most sports. 
know, if you don't, if you don't take the positive approach, if you don't look to score, you're not going to win any matches. And that's the mentality in, in, you know, for me when I bat is if you don't, if you don't look to score any runs or you don't play any shots, you're not going to score any runs. So you like, you may as well try and have some fun while you're out there. And I can't remember who the coach was, but it was unbelievable. Like as a 12, 10 year old kid or something I was at the time, it was like, what's he done? Shoot your score kind of thing. It doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? But it's so true. Brilliant. Uh, Kev, so we're going to fire a couple of questions at you that I, I normally throw at someone, I guess. Um, I suppose this is this probably catches people out sometimes. If you could have a meal with any five people, dead or alive, who would they be? Yeah, I have it written down here because I, I spent 24 hours trying to think. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you know the Food Network and there's a TV show called Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. Okay. Um, so basically the host of that is a guy called Guy Fieri. He's a big tattoo guy. He's an American, peroxide blonde hair. Um, so I definitely have dinner with him. Uh, he, he'd obviously cooked the food for us. Um, so we know it's, we're getting good quality, but yeah, he, 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 his, his TV shows class. I love watching it. You know, he basically just loves all barbecue food and stuff like that. Um, so he'd be one. Piers Morgan, uh, would be, would be another one. I think, um, he's kind of a lover hate. Um, and I actually, I'm not saying I love him, but I, I, I do enjoy his, certainly his Twitter rants and, you know, he's just honest. He's, he says it as it is. Um, so certainly he'd, he'd, he'd cause some, uh, conversations to start. All right. Um, another is Jennifer Lawrence. I'm a big fan of uh, the Hunger Games. Um, and I saw recently uh, Graham Norton uh, clip popped up, and she was on it. And she absolutely, she actually seems like just an absolute great girl. Like she just seems like great fun, good banter, good sense of humor. So she'd be, she'd be there as well. Um, probably the best sportsman of all time, Tiger Woods. Um, obviously being a keen golfer. Um, would be cool to listen to him. Uh, and then read the book, have you? I haven't read the book. No, no, I've read. Oh. I read some of his uh, a, a previous book that was written by his coach, um, but I haven't read the latest one. No um, and the last one because it might change. Sorry for cutting across you. It might yeah, change yeah, opinion it on it him might, anyway. It might do. It might do. But uh, the last one would be uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, so a big fan of How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. He seems like a pretty cool actor. Um, again, he seems like he seems like a pretty much down to earth bloke. So they'd be my five. Brilliant, brilliant. It's it's funny. I had a, I did a podcast earlier in the week, and someone mentioned Piers Morgan as the five people. But you, yours are um, I haven't heard from most of them on the uh, any time I've asked. Right. So Kev, we talked about. I know you talked about uh, books earlier. Is there any books that have like helped you personally, or impacted you, or in sport that you'd recommend to any listeners? Um. Well, I just finished the Russian affair. Um, which is a book from David Walsh. Uh, it's about uh, a female Russian athlete who was uh, married a married a man who was working for the Russian anti-doping uh, organization, and and basically she was uh, on their first date. She said, "Yeah, I'm an athlete and I dope." And he goes, "Oh well, I work for the anti-doping control in Russia, so it's actually quite a it's quite an in-depth look, uh, book of how." you know, their life kind of got together and, you know, and now basically they whistle blew on, on what happened in Russia and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite interesting. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange book to read, you know, but like it is, it actually makes for a good read, if that makes sense. It's, it's, it's weird the way two people from completely different sides of, you know, I suppose their thought process, you know, one being a doper, one trying to stamp out 
drugs and sport and they kind of marry and have kid have a kid together and stuff like that so it's actually quite it's quite a good quite a good read um i'm a big uh fiction fan so uh, there's a norwegian author called joe nesbo um so i love his books anything about he basically writes about a, a detective called harry hull um and it's the harry hull series so anything anything around around that and then being a big uh um, uh, Mockingjay, Hunger Games fan. Um, I recently read The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, which is the, the prequel to the Mockingjay series. Um, so it goes back as, and I don't know if you've seen the uh, Hunger Games, Cornelius Snow is 18 years old. So it's kind of like it happens before the Hunger Games, if that makes sense. So they'd be my three kind of uh, recommendations. I'm sure the listeners are going to give out to me now. It's anything to do. I, I've only just three quarters through The Hobbit. That's how far I haven't even seen Lord of the Rings or anything like that already. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings. It, I, I, and they're too long. Yeah. I, yeah. Haven't, I haven't read any of The Hobbits, but I've, I've seen the, I think the first or second, maybe the first two Hobbit movies. But they're too long as well. They're like three and a half hours. I'm very interested in uh, getting picking up that David Walsh book. I'd be a fan of his in a sense. But um, you know, he did that Team Sky book after the Lance book. I didn't know he did that. No, I so it just, it's one thing that interests me. And Paul Kimmage kind of fell out of him. The, I, 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 my, myself and my father would be big on the anti-doping thing. Yeah. And, uh, but David Walsh did a book on Lance, and, and then he Sky employed him to do a book on Team Sky. And oh, really? Paul Kimmage kind of gave him a bit of shit because he was like, well they're paying you to do a book on this and make their sport look clean. But anyway, I'd be very interested to hear that because his investigative journalism is very good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Kev, listen, brilliant. I, I just want to say thanks so much for your time. Um, where can people stay connected with you or find you or if they want to find out more about your Cricket Academy? Uh, yeah, so um, kevinobriancricket.com, I think it is. It's been so long since I've uh, been on it. But yeah, that's the website. Um, it's type in Kevin O'Brien Cricket and you know, you'll find us. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter and well, I'm on Twitter. I don't, I'm not really active on Twitter. I'm, I retweet a lot, but I don't uh, actively tweet. But yeah, I'm, I'm there, thereabouts, you know, on Facebook as well. So yeah, I'm, you know, if any fans want to touch base, no problem at all. But uh, as I said, I've, I've got a lot of things going on, two kids and a wife and, and, and the family to raise and stuff like that. So my Twitter game isn't as strong as it uh, potentially could be. Brilliant, Kev. Well, listen, I just want to say thanks again so much. It's great hearing your story. Cheers. Thanks a million.